Hello everyone and welcome to episode 299 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now, today's episode for me is unbelievable. A guest that I've always dreamed of having on. If you had found me when I was 15 in my Ash t-shirt at secondary school, playing on stage with my band at the time, Girl From Mars, and actually said in about uh, 26 years time, you will be doing an interview on a podcast of your own with Tim Wheeler from Ash, I would truly have lost my shit. Not just because at that point I wouldn't know what a podcast was and all this technology wasn't around, but genuinely this band changed my life. I ask many people on this podcast about an album that people grew up with, and this is one of mine. 1977 is one of my favourite debut albums of all time. For me, it's a true masterpiece, and Ash have been a band that changed my life for the better. I was obsessed with them when I grew up. I thought all their albums have been unbelievable, and as a songwriter, I think Tim is one of the best we have in this country. Nuclear Sounds... Meltdown, Free All Angels, all these albums give me such nostalgia and pinpoints of my life that I can go back to the moment I hear one of the songs off these incredible albums. And to know they're back with a brand new album called Race the Night is a dream come true. I've been lucky enough to hear this album for the last few weeks. I was sent an advance copy before this interview with Tim and I can safely say the album is unbelievable. Go and check it out after today's interview and then let me know what you think because it is so, so good. And in true typical Mark and Me fashion, just before I get to the interview with Tim Wheeler from Ash, let's touch base and talk about my last episode. It was a big one. The numbers were high. It got so many downloads. It was Sadie Frost, an amazing actress, an amazing guest and someone that I've seen so many people tweeting and Facebook commenting saying they want her back for more. And let's just hope in the near future we can make that happen. But today it's all about Ash. Tim Wheeler. My God, I absolutely love saying this out loud because it really is a dream come true. And just before I hit that play button, let's give a quick shout out to the sponsor of the podcast, Richer Sounds. If you're in the market for a brand new TV or home cinema surround sound system, check out richersounds.com. Right, I don't want to wait any longer. So here it is. Here's me and Tim from the amazing band Ash talking all things music. So, Tim, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Tim, what I love to do with all bands that come on the podcast, and actually all guests, is take it right back to the very start. So talk yeah. to me when you were a kid. Um, what were those first albums that remember maybe you used your pocket money or they were handed down to you that you remember listening to as a kid that made you fall in love with music? Um, well, my big brother, was a, um, he left home our home to go to university like he was 16 years older than me so i'm trying to remember i think maybe it was like eight or eight or something like that but he had like his old beaten up um cassette deck and a cassette of um live and dangerous by Din oh Lizzie. nice 
so that was a really cool one and um he also had wings venus and mars which is like you know maybe not the best known paul mccartney record but it was still a good paul mccartney place to start and uh, so good for the tunes um and then we had like a turntable at home as well with this cool beatles album um which was um oldies but goldies i think it was it had this really cool kind of psychedelic but like roaring 20s kind of cover artwork to it which was you know and it was also it was all like sort of early Beatles bangers you know up to maybe 1966 or something so all that like up-tempo stuff so I think that that might be where I sort of fell in love with really really melodic and energetic kind of music um all that stuff like I want to hold your hand and, and things like that so yeah those are yeah then Lizzie was there for the rock and then then I started getting into quite a lot of kind of metal stuff um like Iron Maiden when I was like probably 10 and Guns N' Roses things like that that was that was really big in the late 80s so uh, i was the same then, so yeah, yeah I, was, I was born in 82 and i remember having usual illusion one and two on cassette yeah yeah and i was just blown away i couldn't believe how great they were and i didn't have appetite for destruction at that point i think i just went to woolworths and bought those two because they were the band to be and i didn't know that you totally, know there's yeah. all these bands out there but they blew yeah. my mind i couldn't believe how great they were yeah i'm, I'm totally with you yeah I was, I, I was i was really into all that and megadeth um metallica yeah guns and roses um then there's like some cool uk stuff so like the almighty and choir boys things like that but then then nirvana came along and that really set us on the road on a quite a different path and that's when i discovered all the you know all the seattle kind of bands and boston bands like pixies and lemonheads dinosaur dinosaur jr um yeah and I, I was lucky enough to see nirvana play in 92 in belfast as well oh wow so yeah. I, I had a ticket, um, I oh, think no. it was for, I can't remember the exact date because I was only a yeah. kid, I was like 14, 15, but my parents were happy for me to go to gigs at that point with, yeah. with like an uncle or someone. And I had a ticket to see Nirvana, I think it might be Wolverhampton or Birmingham, and yeah. it was just while they were in Europe and then the announcement happened that he had died and it was just yeah. the worst well, uh, it was, yeah it was devastating yeah we were, we were doing some of our first ever uk shows that night um we were, i think we were playing joiner's arms in southampton it was on our easter break and uh yeah we we also um our pr agency at the time was bad moon and uh they were nirvana's press agency so we had we had some potential links to nirvana like we sort of thought oh maybe we'll get to play with them and things like that um but you know we, we were you know around some good friends of Kurt, you know, um, at the time, and it was, it was weird. Like we played in London the next night at the Marquee, and just it was such a sad vibe. On the other mad thing that happened was um, our best friend Mark had you know, his bedroom was pretty much in Nirvana's shrine, but his mom had chosen that trip while we were away to redecorate his bedroom, so she had taken down all his like Nirvana posters. Spooky time, uh, right? yeah, and. And he was, he just got home. He was like double bummed. <laughs> Did she know? Is that, is that sp no, too no, spooky? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it, was, it was really bad. Yeah. Unfortunate. I think though also, I think um, whenever we saw Nirvana, we got, you know, their signatures and I think Mark had got his jeans signed and his, his you know, he, we'd gone to school the next day and Mark came back from school and his mom had put his jeans in the wash. <laughs> oh my Lord. <laughs> yeah. Like Mark's mom is awesome, but uh yeah, there was a few unfortunate moments. 
It all changed for me. We just discussed then about going to gigs, but can you remember one of your first ever gigs? Mine, and I say it on every podcast, was Green Day, so I was quite lucky. I saw them on yeah. their Dookie tour, and it was unbelievable. Yeah. But um, And I still love that band to today, and I think they're just unbelievable. But um, can yeah. you remember that? For, even if it's embarrassing, can you remember your first gig you went to where you oh, kind yeah. of saw it yeah, in it was, the flesh? Yeah, it was Bon, bon Jovi. And I, I think it was like 6th of January 1990, perhaps, I think. I was on the New Jersey tour. I think it was 89 or 90. Um, and uh, it was two days after my birthday. I think that's how I remember I was going to say, how do you know these days <laughs> so well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, it was just a couple of days after my birthday. I, I was kind of annoyed as well because I, I think I was 13, but um, my younger brother, who was 11, got to come to the show. And, uh, you know, I'd been waiting so long to come to gigs, but kind of as soon as I passed a certain threshold, he was able to come to every, you know, everything. I wish I'd been able to go to shows when I was 11. But yeah. Was it I, annoying I never, as well? Were you like, oh, yeah. God, you're not tagging along and making me uncool? It was, it was a bit like that, but like I do remember because he was so small and cute that someone like some rocker picked him up on his, their shoulders and John Bon Jovi pointed to him in the middle of a song. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Which was cool. But the other big thing I remember of that show was um, the striking smell of like leather, sweat and hairspray walking into the, the King's Hall in Belfast. It was, and I suppose adrenaline must have been like, you know, it was, it was quite an exciting gig, you know, and, you know, it's sort of like, oh, that was kind of uncool for a while. Um, but in the end, it was, you know, I was 13. It was a cool experience. God, you had some amazing foundations. When you think you've grown up listening to bands like the Beatles and then you started off with John Bon Jovi, like, that's pretty, <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Some people I've yeah. had on have very, you know, very honest and admitted their first gig was like S Club 7. And you're like, oh, I did not expect yeah. that. And now they're in metal bands, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I was lucky. Uh, maybe, maybe I was lucky because not many people were touring Belfast during the, in the 80s. You know, it was not um a safe <laughs> the safest place to come on a on a tour itinerary or people you know people thought they weren't it wasn't but um but kind of a lot of a rock bands did you know i think they started coming in the 80s and uh so yeah i think we got we got quite a lot of big shows you know, so when was it that come. you uh when was it the kind of point in your life when you thought i want to be in a band Cause obviously you started ash quite young um yeah was that one of your first major bands or did you do the thing at school where you were doing the whole battle of the bands and, you know, doing cover bands or were you kind of straight in at the deep end with Ash? No, we've been, myself and Mark had been in bands since we were 11 or 12. I think um, we both got guitars for Christmas. So we're going to, you know, we were both like music nuts completely. We were also like big American football fans as well. <laughs> we sort of, I think we were... Mark had big dreams about trying to set up like a sort of American football league or something. And then when we realized how how tough that would be, then we were like, okay, let's let's do music. And we got I we love that the music band. as a backup than <laughs> him becoming like the rock and doing his own draft. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was quite mad. And that, tons of our mates all got guitars at the same time and we used to get together like seven guitarists in a room trying to be in a band. And then sort of we realized that it was me and Mark were the main ones who just stuck at it every week after week and and we started a, a metal band but we weren't really good enough to play metal so we started writing our own songs right from the beginning and uh yeah they're they're pretty bad but we went through a few years of some pretty embarrassing gigs and then we met rick and this, that sort of coincided with um sort of getting into nirvana and a lot more of a punk rock kind of thing and we were like that suited our level of playing a lot better and and uh so we went kind of changed direction and then 
I think that's also when my songwriting started to click a bit. And so, yeah, we, we put in a, a few years of trying quite hard, but, and then Ash has just started to get kind of good quite early on. So that was good. With Ash and obviously having the original lineup that you still have now, which is amazing, you and Mark having this bond from such a young age, I know it sounds ridiculous because it's hard in like to take yourself back to that moment. But when you formed Ash, did you guys have any expectations or any kind of goals? I know you just saying Mark wanted to be like the rock and have his own NFL yeah. thing. But as yeah. a as a band, did you ever like if you were so influenced by Nirvana, I suppose you probably didn't want to do the big sellout thing and be on top of the pops and stuff. Were you were you kind of wanting to play certain venues or festivals or were you just in it just to have fun? Yeah, no, I think we were quite ambitious. So, you know, we really wanted to, yeah, I guess we've been into all those rock bands and, you know, we saw the lifestyle and, and yeah, I guess we, we it seemed a lot more exciting than staying, you know, a lifetime in Northern Ireland. You know, I think we sort of want, there was quite a big escapism thing about the attraction of all the, that rock music, especially a lot of the American stuff we were into. And although Nirvana were, you know, had these big anti sort of corporate ethics they were still looked like they were living the dream you know they were like living doing music and well still on the main stage yeah. at reading aren't they and yeah. selling out every good venue in the uk so it yeah. couldn't have been that against it they were on geffen records they were like all over mtv you know they were top of the pops that yeah, iconic performance pops. Yeah. yeah and i don't know, I remember around, i i did like this french exchange of this this kid in france and I remember like just going everywhere that's you know go somewhere in France and you just Nirvana was blasting out of everywhere. You know, any, you walk by an apartment door, you hear Nevermind playing, you know, it's just, okay. It was like that, this music is connecting worldwide. I don't, there was, I don't know. There was ambitions to do that kind of thing, replicate that. So yeah, we, I don't know. We wanted, we saw this kind of dream of being a musician and that's what we were going from for quite hard, but quite early on. And yeah, we, but we we're like, how the hell are we going to do this in Northern Ireland in this, you know, rural backwater that not many people come to and is, uh, yeah, has a lot of problems <laughs> as well. But with the launch of 1977, which is in 1996, which just still blows my mind, um, I was thinking just before this interview today, I was at secondary school at the age of 15 and we had an assembly and I remember my band played at school. And we opened no our set. We opened our set with Bill from Mars, which is wow. fucking ace. And if I can yeah. find the video, I will send it you because I've got oh, sprayed green it. hair. No one had yeah. hair dye then. You just got it in a in a can. And yeah. we we then went into when I come around by Green Day, and then I think we did Nirvana, Drain You. But we started with Ash, yeah. and it was fucking ace. And everyone at school <laughs> was just honestly the biggest Ash fans. Everyone had the T-shirt with the with the white iconic. Um, like the baseball yeah, style with the black yeah, rings oh, yeah. and everything. The ringers, yeah. 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 And yeah. honestly, you were the band. And I just, I was thinking today, surely that can't be that long ago. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. that was probably like 96, 97, which is just blowing my mind. Well, yeah, there's definitely, there definitely a certain generation of teenager. Like just, we were a teenage band. We were like, I guess we were just turned 19 when 1977 came out. And we were you know i think we really connected with teenagers so yeah there's certain people if you're a teenager in 95 96 you probably were uh, a big ash fan that's one thing in dairy girls i was like i thought dairy girls they should have had an ash poster on the wall or oh, something that's all it needed if, if you're a northern irish teenager and you know at that time you probably were a big fan but they, they did use a lifeless ordinary in the, the last season yes but, 
But uh, yeah, I thought, I don't know, I thought we deserved a little Next more. time, put me in a, a hat <laughs> or a t-shirt. Yeah, or... something, yeah. But with that album, I know obviously everyone, you said you were ambitious, but surely you didn't expect it to blow up like it did. Like those singles were absolutely huge. You suddenly got, you know, your name was everywhere. The opening track with that Star Wars sample just instantly hits you. And everything about it, the sound production, everything is just timeless. It is an absolute classic. And I think a debut leaves your mark on the industry. You couldn't be prouder to look back and say, that's our debut. Oh, yeah, we're, it was it was a great moment. Like, um, it kind of all just came together. I mean, we wrote a bit of a wave as well of, like, guitar music was hitting the charts big time. So, yeah, I think you're right. We, we wouldn't have expected it. And there was a couple of moments early on where we thought our chance had gone. Uh, we were chatting to, I think it was a label called Diva Records, who, who had put out um, Daisy Chainsaw, Love Your Money. And um, they were sort of interested in us when we were, 16 or something i think it's yeah we're 16 and but then that kind of fizzled out the interest from them and then we thought i think we thought that was our chance gone you know and uh but then luckily we um we got these links through bad moon to to a manager in london and we kind of started coming to london through him and yeah it, it just it just took off at kind of a crazy pace you know when we were the last year of school we were signing you know signing deals with um, reprise records which is part of warner brothers in the states and all sorts of you know we were getting flown to la and on our school breaks and that's know, it's insane sort of kept, isn't it it's so <laughs> it crazy kept building up yeah and we had we had actually had girl from mars uh written from yeah like 1993 i think we wrote that or i wrote it and it was kind of in the set but our manager was like hang on don't release it we're not going to release this until you leave school because this hold it back like, this is gold yeah yeah, yeah like you you won't be able to make it you won't be able to promote it if you're at school like this can't be the hit that it deserves to be so i thought that was really smart the management and label they were like let's let, wait wait on that so we didn't we didn't record it for a trailer our first mini album and then it came out two weeks after we left school and like three days after my last a level we um played glastonbury and then it just you know two weeks later we're on top of the pops and um you know i think it went to number 11 in the charts but it was that was like a big summer for big hits so you know supergrass all right was out things like that and um Bands yeah like it just kicked off seven charlatans yeah. oasis blur it was fucking a yeah, wild it was, time it was going off yeah and it was a glorious summer the way i remember it and that's when we went first then the rest of the year we went off to america japan australia for the first time and like europe we were it was kind of nuts so yeah just kicked off big time and yeah there, there's no way we would have predicted that level you know i do i remember like when we were 17 and putting out the singles the first singles they were like going to number one in the indie charts and i was like i think that was maybe what i thought our level was and i was like dead psyched with it but um you know it's kind of crazy to sort of hit the mainstream it's amazing looking back at times like that. And even now when I look at Reading posters and V Festival back then, you know, these oh, yeah. lineups, like, they look yeah. like the dream lineup now. Like, kids today yeah. don't realise that's not a poster that you make on, like, Photoshop of your dream bands. Those were the lineups. And you'd go and see yeah. Beck, and then you'd move and see Radiohead, and then Ash, and then Foo yeah. Fighters on the lower stages, and Biffy Clyro. Oh, yeah. And it was like, oh, they were the golden days. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, there's some been some great ones. We were we were part of the bill. Yeah, some reading. Like I remember it was us, then Sonic Youth, then the Stone Roses final gig. 
And then one other year was like us, then Muse, then Foo Fighters. I don't know. Yeah. Some, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you said then about how you went to then, you know, Japan and America and it was going so quick for you and you're still very young and you never can anticipate just how much it blew up in such a short space of time. And I think being in the band, it must be hard to like take a step back and see it because it's happening so quick to you three that you probably can't even digest it because by the time you're looking around you, it's right next week, you got to go to Top of the Pops. This week, you got to do a festival yeah. this week. Did you have any chance to take a stand and kind of just reflect and breathe during that kind of 96 to 98 period where it was just insane? Yeah, not really. Yeah, I remember that first year and a half of, yeah, just, you know, we, we went on tour around the world the first time, but then we had to like go in and finish the album in 1977. You know, we'd, we'd sort of put out three or four singles leading up to it. But well, yeah, we'd recorded three, like Kung Fu, Go off Mars, Angel Interceptor during the year because we, you know, we were at school, we couldn't do the full album, and then all of a sudden we had to like do the rest of the album and, and you know live up to the rest of it, um, make the rest of it as good as those early singles. So it was quite a lot of pressure. And then from that we rolled straight into the tour. So yeah, I do remember like um, the promotion that we used to do was insane. Like just the schedule, the interviews, the traveling, the you know with like there was some stuff we'd be doing a video shoot all night long and have to go back to Jules Hall and rehearsal and we'd have to get helicopters back and forth just to kind of fit it all in um yeah and, you know and then it was I kind of I did get quite burned out I remember like just around the actual 1977 you know it hit number one in charts and I wasn't really having a good time you know it's like that was um you know it's really like, that was one of my big regrets at the time. I was like, this should have been the best moment of my life, but I was like kind of having a bit of a mental breakdown. And um, so then I was like kind of determined to have another number one album and enjoy it this time. So luckily we did on our third album and, um, you know, it was, I made sure I was having a good time then. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was a lot of pressure. Like we were so young and um dabbling in drugs for the first time things like that you know that and just burning the candle just both ends and severely exhausted as well so, so what's it like when kind you're of enjoying that? it too. Yeah, yeah i mean yeah. You put, you're putting on a brave face you're wearing a mask you must be struggling mentally and the pressure yeah. then to bring out a follow-up album and kind of you want to top it don't you, you don't want people to be like yeah. oh remember when ash used to be good you know it's it's that thing of with nuclear sounds you know you must have been like oh my God, like we've just hit this incredible milestone with our debut. We now need to try and match it at least or try and top it if yeah. better, you know? Yeah. Oh, it was, Um, I, I think that, and that was a point where we got a bit of a breather, like trying to write, write the album. You know, I think there was a bit of a mental block too of um, like we needed the break, but we didn't get one. We had to go straight in to write it. So we kind of, the writing was hard to get into. It dragged out a bit, you know, I hadn't, hadn't written a song for a year and a half in all the craziness as well. And all of a sudden had to try to write, get back to the level that I had been, which I was kind of really on, on fire writing 1977. And, you know, I was all super excited about it, um, about learning, trying new things, being in the studio with a you know, really great producer, Owen Morris, who produced like the, the Oasis amazing stuff. producer. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. And he was a mental guy as well. Oh, it still is. I'm, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, so, but I think, you know, we also had this thing, like we wanted to 
to change the perception of a band a little bit. You know, we weren't, um, there was, there was this sort of pop element that we, we, we somehow managed to be on the cover of like heavy metal magazines like Kerrang! And then the sort of cool indie magazines, NME, Melody Maker. But simultaneously we were in like Sugar Magazine and, and Smash Hits and stuff, which that's mad. Um, kind of graded the Nirvana fans inside us. You're like, what the hell are we doing in this? And um, some countries we'd go to would be marketed almost a bit like a boy band of it. Like kind of what something like Busted yeah. did a few years later, you know, we were sort of like, cute looking punk rocky kind of guys so um uh you know we're almost like a bit of a template for that i think yeah but that like did not sit too well for so i think nuclear sounds we, at the same time we were trying to equal 1977 we were also like trying to do something a bit darker and heavier and, and a bit more credible i think so break that which is a shame because well, yeah. Uh, yeah but i think you know our strength was mostly um our very strong melodic song so you know, and I think I was trying to process a bit of a mental breakdown and being in around the album hitting number one and it's just the exhaustion. So it's a bit, there's like half of it's heavy ballads and half of it's us trying to be a bit more like a punk rock band. So yeah, it was, it was a bit, of, it was a struggle making an album and it, um, it got good reviews when it came out, but it didn't connect the same way. Like the singles weren't the hits and, and also like music turned kind of, darker corner you know the Britpop party was kind of over at that point and so uh yeah so that was changed can't it in two years yeah it was crazy how quickly it all burned out and fizzled and changed and um I don't know Radiohead did it perfectly for okay computer you know they sort of they rode through the whole thing (laughs) in their amazing way but there's only one Radiohead it's yeah exactly that's yeah so that was really you know that was impressive so was it like um, a conscious choice for you then to get an additional guitarist and get Charlotte in the band to change the dynamic from this trio yeah, pretty boy image of a band that could be then in Smash Hits and with Free All Angels have that kind of rougher, grittier guitar sound, a bit more drive and the distortion on the guitar sounds a lot more punky and just, you know, yeah. you're not the same polished produced band at that point? Yeah, yeah. Like the, I guess, you know, that was another thing that sort of, it was a big change but i think charlotte joining was kind of the big thing that helped the longevity of us and got us through to real angels and got us that next level of of you know a comeback success but yeah it kind of began with i guess when we were recording 1977 we were doing a lot of overdubs guitar overdubs with owen morris and he was you know he was helping us kind of teaching us how to layer the sound a bit and i was i do remember just going how am i going to recreate this live and so and he was a big New Order fan. I remember him saying, oh, I should get a girl, you know, join the band. You know, it's like after Joy Division, you know, they got Jillian into New Order. And, you know, he, he remembered how cool that was. So he was like, you should find a girl guitarist and a female guitarist. And so I, I kind of stuck in my head, I, I do remember. And then we, we toured with Weezer in 96 on the, their Pinkerton album. My God, what a masterpiece of an album that is. Yeah, yeah. We, wow. Yeah, and that was like a mad tour to be on because... I first heard that in like in a shopping mall in Japan when we were on tour in Japan. I was like, what the hell is this incredible sounding record? It was in like a tire records in a mall that we were playing. And, um, you know, I was like blown away by the album. And then like a few weeks later, they were like, they wanted us to come on tour from the States. Pinch and, me now. Yeah, yeah. But like, it, it was weird because it didn't connect the, with the fans or with, sorry, with their the mainstream, the way, you know, they were coming off the back of such a, Oh yeah, the Massive blue album, Buddy Holly, like, and the blue album. Yeah, yes. 
So they were kind of so and all that. Christ, yeah, yeah completely yeah. different so, album. Yeah, and I, I think that was a bit of inspiration when we went to do Nuclear Sounds as well. We were like, oh, we loved the sort of turn that they'd made with that. But on that tour, you know, the, I loved how that there was two amazing lead guitarists in one band who could like interplay off each other, and so that sort of made me think, oh, that's kind of what if we were to get another guitarist, that would be the way to do it. And um, I was living in London in the summer of 97 and uh, Charlotte was the girlfriend of one of the guys I was living with. And she was, you know, I was like, who's this cool 16 year old girl? He's like playing television songs like Marky Moon and stuff. I was like, wow, she's, she's really good. So uh, yeah, so we asked her to join and, and, you know, I do remember like we had a lot of, you know, young girl fans at the time as well who were like, a bit possessive of you know their teenage <laughs> teenage crushes so i do remember some of the first reactions like who's you know who's this chick joining our band get away from, from my boys, know, from some yeah. of the fans yeah that, that was a bit of an unexpected reaction but pretty soon you know she was she had a different way of playing style as well to us she was kind of she you know we were like throwing ourselves around like crazy but she had this kind of aloof kind of very chill way of playing she's like really composed i saw you play a yeah. lot with her on those tours and yeah yeah she was so still cool. into it and you, you'd watch yeah. her and she was lost in the music and yeah. she's just so composed with everything she's playing but just at the same time just cool as fuck like you've just yeah like the pixies like smashing Pumpkins, yeah just, you've got something cool and you you're not even trying but you look like it's effortless it's it's unbelievable yeah that's exactly that's charlotte yeah and she played barefoot as well sometimes and you know like most of the time actually amazing yeah she was yeah so she was an amazing addition and she added this whole layer of, with the harmonies which you know i think we didn't dive into it enough on nuclear sounds but on free angel we sort of realized how well our voices blended together and like you know when she would harmonize in the choruses and things like that so and i loved just having someone that you know we could have this guitar interplay with you know that we could sort of trade off and you know she's such a brilliant lead player and amazing rhythm player too so we could um kind of trade off each other so yeah it was you know i loved having her in the band i've had many bands on recently bands like everclear and feeder and incubus that have all been going in the yeah. industry for over 25 years and what is it now that kind of still makes you want to come out there and still do new music? Because Islands was 2018, and now five yeah. years later, we're just on the verge of, you know, the the release of Race the Night. And I wonder what's still in your blood now, and what is it that still makes you want to kind of keep going? Is there the fact of it just doesn't ever leave? Is it the fact that it's just in your system and that's it? Because you've had an amazing career you've headline festivals you've been all around the world you've had number one albums if you were looking at yourself now as a 16 year old you'd probably be like i could retire now i'm happy i've done absolutely more than i could dream of but you're still going out there touring yeah brand new album like what is it that just will never let you like say that's enough now i think it's the um the creative pro you know process like i, I love having a new song and being in the, the room with mark and rick and you know rehearsal room just Kicking, kicking into shape and feeling us all getting excited about something new um and i don't know it's always fun having new stuff in this the set i don't like keeping writing new music just brings a lot of really rewarding challenges you know and um yeah i don't know if there's this excitement of like when you're making it like oh can't wait for people to hear this so i don't know that's that's never that's never gone i think those are my favorite moments in the bands you know when we're sort of trying out new songs and you don't 
I don't know, there's some, some songs just really come to life once you start, you know, you say you've been writing it on the acoustic guitar and then you, we start cranking it out in the rehearsal room. So um, that's just never gone away. And you know, that's been, you know, since we we're 15 years old and before, you know, it's, yeah. So that's, I think that's what still drives us. And, you know, and we've done some sort of look back things. Like it was our 30th anniversary last year. And, you know, we, that was like a big thing that we had to like, address <laughs> you know, yeah in a way but i'm kind of relieved it's over you know it's like now we can move keep moving forward and i mean sometimes we've gone back and played the whole albums in full which is like that's quite a fun thing to revisit but i don't know this this moment right now you know we're like you know on the on the verge of releasing a new album this is this is what i kind of i'm in the band for really is it really exciting as well getting this set list ready for the tour that's coming up? It's a hell of a lot of dates. Yeah. I didn't realize how big the tour is. Yeah. And you kind of want to play new songs because you three have got brand new material and there's nothing better than being in a band and having something new to show people. Yeah. But every fan wants to hear every classic as well. So is it kind of like, how much of this can we drip into the set list but still keep oh, everyone yeah. happy? Because I went to see Placebo a few weeks ago. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't play any of their singles. They just played all new stuff, uh, which is great. Wow. It's brilliant. But yeah. everyone leaving the venue was like, fuck this band. Like, I've paid 50 pounds. Uh, I wish I could have heard at least a couple of the singles. And I was like, yeah, that's quite ambitious and brave to do that. But I know you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go to a gig and not yeah. play any of your singles. Like, No, we, we, we love to. I don't know. I, I love those moments because I love the reaction when we play Girl From Mars. You know, yeah. seeing pints flying and people just it just like kicks up the energy in the, in the set so you know when we play live that's that's a big part of it but yeah we want to get new songs in there it's kind of nice so we've been like the new way of putting out music you sort of you, you drip out a, a single every two weeks and in the build-up to the album um in the old days it used to be you'd keep putting them out long after but I, th I think by the time the record comes out um people will be you know and you know a few of the songs but yeah we, we can't do too much you know we'll probably do like four or five um but I do remember we played with Red Hot Chili Peppers in Murrayfield in Scotland. And, I, you know, I'd saw them, I think I saw them in 91 in Belfast on the, maybe it was Blood Sugar Sex Magic Tour. Maybe it was oh, 92. Wow. I don't know. I was standing, I was, yeah, I had a great spot in the front row right in front of John Frusciante. Oh my Lord. And they were one of my, you know, really one of my favorite bands back then. And, um, but then we played with them, must have been around, you know, after Californication, all that stuff. And I was kind of like, wow, they've, they're hardly playing any songs from that set I saw back, you know, in 92 or whenever it was. I was like, wow, what a great place in the band to be, you know, to have all these hits and um, it really connected with the fans, you know, and you don't even have to play the early stuff. So I was kind of I was slightly jealous, but of a freedom, you know, to, you know, when you keep having hits like that, but I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll get to that point, but there are certain songs, you know, that I see, that we've put out in the last, say, the last 10 years that are starting to rise up and, you know, really connect as much as the old ones. So, um, but, I don't, I, yeah, I I wouldn't do what Brian and the guys did to you. <laughs> I, I like to give people what they want as well. You know? Have you um, had to rethink the structure of songs or the dynamic of the writing for being in the studio of Race the Night, knowing that you haven't got all these extra musicians on stage and... The guitars have got yeah. to be different. Are you kind of going with a conscious mind of not like setting yourself up to fail and be like, how are we going to replicate this oh, live? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think this album will translate quite quite live straight away. Like there might, you know, there's definitely layers I add in the studio that I know I'm probably never going to 
we were not gonna have live like some backing vocals or you know i kind of like sometimes like to do a bit of queen stuff you know where you like i've got the album harmonies. i've heard <laughs> yeah. a lot yeah it's, it's, yeah it's gonna we'll be so much fun to hear live <laughs> yeah but but i i know the songs as a core work when they're stripped down you know if you got strip it down to like the main guitar bass and drums vocals uh it will it works too so yeah. um yeah i think i think this one actually won't be too hard but i do yeah that is something that goes in your mind like we sort of got a quite synthy record on the way that you know um we were sort of working on simultaneously to race the night and that might come out next year sometime that's definitely gonna be a lot more of a headache to like how the hell do we do this live but uh, is this your ashes uh kid a maybe oh I, I, yeah i think it kind of is actually yeah <laughs> wow this is fun yeah but a lot more poppy like a, maybe, yeah you know it's but it's definitely a very different style but it's yeah it's very melodic poppy um so you're already working synthetic. on this as well because i was going to say what's next for you guys because usually yeah. an album comes out you have two three years to promote it work on it but with the way that streaming is now you can do what you like can't you yeah yeah i think it's actually i've sort of seen i think it's better to keep putting out music a lot more regularly so yeah, you know, it had quite a lot of changes in the last few years. It was COVID, um, I moved from New York to London. Uh, you know, we had a baby last year. There's so many things have kind of slowed down this album coming out. So it's kind of meant that we have got the other one is quite, I'm probably like three quarters of the way through it. Just probably need like two months of no touring to wrap it up next year, hopefully. And does it, famous, does it feel, um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that you yeah. set yourself up to fail there, but um, yeah. does, does the tour, and I say this with full respect, require a different way of life now because you're a father, because you want to spend time with your loved ones. It's not going out partying, drinking, doing drugs, living rock and roll. Do you yeah. kind of schedule it so you have a bit more time off and a better work-life balance? And are you, I know it sounds ridiculous, but to play 17, 18 songs over a two-hour set, you're not the 20 year old that's got that strength and you know yeah. fitness now I, I can imagine it being a bit more of a right lads let's let's take it easy tonight we've got another one tomorrow <laughs> yeah well I think anytime we try to put less songs in the set mark always insists on getting more you know he just tries to squeeze <laughs> just two yeah, more go on he won't let us yeah he's like the, the slave driver of the band so yeah and but i don't know there's i think there's some inbuilt stamina that we've got from just all those years of touring like even if we're kind of destroyed we'll we can't, you know, we can't, but yeah, we, I don't know, schedule-wise, we try try not to overdo it too much these days. I mean, Mark and Rick have been parents for like a lot longer, they've been, you know, 12 years or so. Yeah. And so we already slowed down a bit our touring compared to how we used to. Like the first 10 years of the band were just absolutely crazy. Insane, the dates yeah. we get every year. But um, yeah, it's not too bad. I, I don't know. We've we've had a decent break from it, so I'm I'm looking forward to that moment. You get to go back playing. out there, yeah, yeah. Because when you play, do play a lot, you get into a great rhythm, and um, especially when you're playing the new songs, they they get better and better each night. So, you know, now Girl from Mars, maybe like I don't think we're gonna ever improve <laughs> how we do. It. You know, it's probably quite set how we do it. Yeah, it's fun when you got the new stuff. You start you shape it a bit over the gigs. That's awesome. And uh, my final question for you today is, and I do this with every guest that comes on the podcast and I put you on the spot, but anyone that's been on gets to choose the final song that's played. So after our um, interview today is all edited and ready for the world to listen to, you get to choose the last song and it can be by any band, by anyone in the world, any piece of music, but it's played after our interview. So I am putting you on the spot, but when I asked the question, what was the song that came to your heart before any other? 
Oh, right. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know why, but I'm just in a Beach Boys mood right now. And, I can love uh, the Beach Boys. Yeah. And this is, a, you know, not one of the biggest hits, but there's a song called This Whole World, and it's just uh, an amazing showcase of Brian Wilson's melodic genius and in quite a brief song as well. I think, I don't know, less than two minutes maybe, but uh, yeah, it's just full of beautiful harmonies and yeah, and quite upbeat too. So good vibes to... to that's a real Did you nice one to end on and um <laughs> yeah. pet pet sounds genuinely since i was a kid and my parents bought their first cd player it was the first album they bought on cd there's not yeah. one week and i'm not lying here there's not one week that goes by that i don't listen to that album like yeah it doesn't matter where i am i put it on and i've never heard harmonies or a song like god only knows ever yeah replicated by right. anybody it's just it just does something yeah. for me that's just timeless like i wish i got to see it live yeah oh yeah it's um I think I did actually. I was lucky in in New York, but yeah, it was it was quite an amazing experience. But what an album! Yeah, that unbelievable. Is, yeah, what an ending! Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Tim. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, you've you've heard I've been a fan of your band since I was literally at secondary school, and uh, it's a dream for you to be on the show. Uh, I'm a massive, massive fan, and I can't wait for people to hear the album. I've been lucky enough to get the preview, and I can't wait to come see you and hopefully grab a beer with you. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Awesome. Oh. Yeah, she was taking me over And oh yeah, it was the start of the summer So there it is, there's my interview with me and Tim Wheeler from the incredible band Ash truly a dream guest for me and at one point nearly made episode 300 but that is only literally days away but I can't thank Tim enough for giving me the time to come on the podcast and make all my dreams come true it sounds cheesy but I say it and I'm always very honest and very open on this podcast if I get a guest that I'm a bit of a fanboy of in a cool way and not a stalker way I will say it Ash are a band that meant the absolute world to me and are the reason I picked up a guitar, they're the reason I got in a band, they're so good and had such an impact on my life, so it feels so good to know that now I can add them to the Mark and Me catalogue. If you've enjoyed today's episode, all I ask in return, because these episodes will always remain free, is just share it. Mark and Me is a one-man team and sometimes I do truly believe that people think I have an agent, a manager, a booking team, a social media team... I don't. I don't have an editor. I don't have a publisher. It's literally just me. And that's why I have to work so hard on relying on you guys out there to hit that retweet button, the share button, because then you know how big Ash are. If you share this on Facebook, one of your friends who grew up might love Ash just as much as us. And then they go and check out the podcast. They love this interview and then stick around for the long run. With nearly 300 episodes available, there's surely something for everyone. So if you can hit that share button, please, please do. Also, if you want to go that extra mile, I do have a Patreon account. I've lost a few people recently and I understand with the cost of living it's not easy. But if you can sign up on there for as little as £2 a month, you're guaranteed at least two episodes every week. You get a welcome pack with stickers with a limited edition badge that's nearly run out now. You get exclusive episodes called The Lost Tapes, which are for only people on Patreon. And you get newsletters and so much more. So please, if you can afford it, there's a link on markandme.com. It really goes a long way. 
I'll be back in only a few days time and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud right now with episode 300 of Mark and Me. I am not even going to start giving you any clues yet about who the guest is but I can't believe this has happened. It's taken the whole time, nearly seven years of doing Mark and Me to make it happen but it's finally happened and it really is my number one dream guest. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to say no more. Now, until then, look after yourself. Listen to the brand new album by Ash called Race the Night. And we'll meet back in a few days time with the big 300. I'll speak to you all then.